Welcome to Christ Church. The following is a homily from our Sunday morning gathering in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Please be seated. Sometimes, for various reasons, a preacher has to cut their sermon just a little bit short. And who knew that it was because that long reading from Genesis? <laughs> Today, we turn to the season following Trinity Sunday, in which our gospel readings will focus on the teachings of Jesus. As Jesus leaves his disciples, he tells them to go into the world to make disciples, to baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to form their lives around the teachings of the kingdom. As I mentioned last week, Jesus reminds us that we do not do this work alone. After all, Jesus has poured the Holy Spirit upon his disciples, and he reminds us that he is with us always. I recently watched a news story about a 94-year-old woman who had done some grocery shopping and entered into her car, and after she uh, sat in her car, the passenger door flies open, and a thief gets into her car and demands all of her money, or he would kill her. The woman responded that she was not afraid because Jesus is always with her, to which she said that the thief looked in the back seat to make sure that there wasn't someone behind him. The woman began to talk to the thief, offered to pray with him, told her she was not afraid, and after a long conversation, he goes, well, I guess I need to go home and say my prayers tonight. She goes, you don't have to wait to talk to Jesus. He's always there. Let me pray with you. They talked a little bit more, and then she handed him all that she had in her purse, $10. Jesus is not only with us when we pray, but Jesus is present in Holy Communion, in the Scriptures, the poor, and our gathered community. Notice something interesting, though, in Matthew's story. Matthew tells us that the disciples have gone to the mountain the mountain where Jesus had preached the Sermon on the Mount. They had returned to the beginning. And when the disciples saw Jesus, they worshipped him. And Matthew said, but some doubted. Now Stanley Hauerwas says that the doubt probably meant that they doubted they could actually live up to what Jesus was giving, telling them to do. But I don't know. Throughout the New Testament and after the resurrection, the disciples oftentimes still didn't get it. They didn't always recognize Jesus. Jesus, as he's walking to uh, the town of Emmaus, comes up uh, to two people who don't know who he is until the bread is broken and they recognize him. Thomas refuses to believe the stories of Jesus' resurrection unless I can touch the, his sides. 
And remember when Mary Magdalene, the one who first testifies to the resurrection, went and told the disciples, the disciples' response was, you know, women, all they do is gossip. Men have not changed much over the years. Doubt here in Matthew's story is a wavering uncertainty, a general lack of confidence. The remarkable and comforting fact is that, um, that some of Jesus' first disciples were ones who doubted. They personally saw and heard so many amazing things, and yet they doubted. So is it any surprise that those of us in this room have probably experienced doubt from time to time and may be in this very moment experiencing doubt? One of the shortest letters in the New Testament is from Jude. Some say Jude was a brother of Judas. Others say Jude was a a relative. But you might know St. Jude as the patron saint of lost causes. It's like the Detroit Lions' favorite saint. Probably because in his letter he exhorted Christians to have mercy on those who doubt. Jude is writing, encountering some popular teachings at his time, but one of the things that he drives home is have compassion on those who lose their way. Have compassion on those who follow false teachers. Have compassion for those who are not clear about what Jesus taught. Jude understands that teachers of the day can be attractive. It's easy to get off track. Because I know that in my life it's happened many times. In other words, Jesus says, Be merciful to those who are struggling over the competing truth claims. Don't crush them. Don't condemn them. Help them. What an amazing gift it would be for Christians if we thought that our job was to help others who believe differently. What if we offered compassion rather than anger, rage, and rejection? Rachel Held Evans, in reflecting upon that long reading of Genesis we heard a little bit ago, talks about how in the Babylonian um, uh, community that there was a very similar story to the creation story we heard. On day one, this happens. On day two, this happens, and so on. But on day seven in the Babylonian story, the gods rest because creation is brought forth after violence and war. In the Babylonian story, the gods are tired because they have fought so hard. But in the story that Judaism teaches and we inherit is that God rests and just looks down on what was created and says, gosh, that's amazing. In Stephen King's uh, story, The Stand, there are two characters who have an interaction. Mother Abigail and Nick. And if you've ever watched uh, or seen The the Stand, you might um, understand this, but if you haven't, I think you'll get it. Nick is a man who is is called to be, uh, who is called, but he is unable to speak and he's unable to hear. And he is an atheist. And Mother Abigail says to Nick, 
God, you may not believe in God, but God believes in you. In other words, our doubt and our questions are not an obstacle to our witness and ministry in Matthew's gospel. There's a popular program in the Episcopal Church, Education for Ministry, a four-year program from Swanee. I'm a dropout. I only have three years. Overall, it's a good program. But what I fear is, is that it emphasizes that Christian witness comes from knowledge rather than our lived experience of God. Having knowledge of the Bible and the church tradition is good. Seriously, it is really good. But most of the time, my, um, my life, my witness of the Christian faith is a work of pastoring rather than teaching. Hearing people's stories and having compassion. Earlier in Matthew's gospel, Jesus is on this same mountain, looks out and sees the people, and Matthew tells that he has compassion, for they are like sheep without a shepherd. May we be like Jesus, too, and look at people with compassion. Now, there's various levels of uh, doubt in, that we can experience. Some of it is you're kind of doubting, you know, the big questions of life. Why am I here? Sometimes it's about the specificity of faith. Here we are on Trinity Sunday. Is the Trinity real? The popular word these days for this is deconstruction. Deconstruction is one way in which we wrestle with doubt. And deconstruction overall is a really good thing. Who of us has never changed their beliefs about something? For some people, deconstruction is difficult and so painful that they walk away from faith altogether. I have talked to ex-evangelicals who have left faith because even though the faith that they grew up with no longer works for them, that mindset is so ingrained in them they cannot imagine another way of relating to God. I have met lapsed Roman Catholics who are so seeped in guilt and shame that not going to church is a better option than going to a different tradition. In his book, Out of the Embers, um, Brad Jersak offers an alternative metaphor for us to think about our doubt. A metaphor, an image that is used by Jesus and Paul. Jesus talked about old and new wineskins, water to wine, while Jersak observes that similar Paul metaphors, including wreathed-clothed, metamorphous, changed. Our doubts and our questions are not met with, Jesus, with judgment from Jesus, but compassion as he sees sheep without a shepherd. He wants to be our shepherd. Thomas Cramer, when he was putting together the Book of Common Prayer, inserted after the confession and absolution what is commonly called the comfortable words. And though right to does not technically have the comfortable words, uh, because I think they're so important, we include them here, Cramer was worried that people would continue to doubt God's grace, that they would have a wavering, hesitant uncertainty, and a lack of confidence that they are truly forgiven and able to receive communion. Leading up to the Reformation, it was not uncommon for people only to receive communion once a year at Easter. 
for fear that they may have committed a sin that they had not yet uh, confessed, and that receiving communion in a state of sin would damn them to hell. And so Cramer wanted to emphasize the grace and comfort that Jesus offers to all. And so Cranmer selected four verses of Scripture to comfort those who may doubt God's grace and believe that when Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that travail and are heavy laden, and I will refresh you, he meant it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.